podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Questo suono dal Sud America fino giù in Senegal, profumo d'Africa nella Nuova Guinea. La sentirai in Albania, che assomiglia a casa mia. Riparte dal Belgio, arriva in Croazia, Slovacchia, Polonia e Romania. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Forza Napoli Worldwide Series. This is a series all about our fans. I'm convinced that we have the best fans in the world, so I wanted to give our fans all over the world a platform where they can tell their stories and together we can continue to grow this amazing community. I'm your host, Joe Fischetti. Thank you, as always, for listening. We're coming home for today's episode, which is brought to you in part by Betstamp, the world's first verified buy-sell marketplace for sports betting picks. And of course, when I say home, we're talking about Toronto, Canada. Today's guest describes himself as a fan with hot takes on Seti Falsa. Antonio, welcome to Fortsanopoli. Thank you, Joe. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. It's been a pretty hectic week actually <laughs> apologies to all the listeners i haven't this is the first episode i'm putting out in about a week and a half which is not a common thing but you know we're on a winter break so let's uh, we can recharge our batteries before the Serie S season kicks off again in january so we have plenty to talk about today we're going to talk about napoli's two friendly matches in the winter football series by regnum in turkey with a focus on some of the key themes that came out of those two matches We'll cover some of the latest news, including Lorenzo Insigne's request to train at Castel Volturno and some January transfer rumors. But we always start these episodes with our guest stories. So, Antonio, how did you become a Napoli fan? Uh, so I was born into this. My father was a Napoli fan. My grandfather before him was a Napoli fan. We're from Avellino, which is a couple of hours away from there. And we just always cheered for the blue and white. Yeah, so we're actually paisans because my father is from Avellino as well. Do you follow Avellino at all in terms of the club or maybe your father when they were, you know, in Serie It would have been easier. I did a little bit there when uh, the, with Zapacosta. Remember Zapacosta mm-hmm. was playing on there before he went to Chelsea? Yeah. Uh, I followed them a little bit. I wasn't a big, big fan of Avellino, uh, where I cheered them on uh, as my home club. Again, uh, in the house, it was blue and white all the time, and especially in Maradona. I don't know about you, but I still remember the days of sitting on my dad's lap watching uh, the games when Maradona was playing. And uh, it was uh, quite quite an experience. I don't know what, what all this is about comparing Messi with Maradona, but no comparison whatsoever. I mean, how do, how do you compare a guy who took a small club to big heights where everybody in the world knows what Napoli is because of him to a guy who relied on a club to take him to where he is now? Yeah, I mean, that's the the big debate these days, obviously, with the World Cup going on. And one thing I suppose the the people on the Maradona side of the fence were hanging on to is the fact that Maradona won a World Cup and Messi didn't. Messi may. But even then, I mean, for me, I don't know. I, I mean, it's a fun thing to debate, I guess. But I, I don't think that we necessarily need to crown one or the other. And, right. and I think... You I know, agree. It, 
it also depends on sort of the standards by which you're measuring them, right? So to your point, if you're looking at the individual impact in both Napoli and in the Argentinian national team, Maradona took a team that was okay, good, not great, and elevated them to the level of champions on both stages. And I think that's sort of the point you're making about Messi, that you know that was a stacked Barcelona squad to begin with. Now, maybe they wouldn't have achieved all of the things that they did without Messi, but he was surrounded by quality players. Not, not to take anything away from Messi, uh, he is a great, phenomenal player. He is one of the tops in today's game, but he he has counterparts. You know, there's always the the verse Ronaldo, and there's other players now, Mbappe and Holland, and there's all these new players coming in where they're almost at the same level, beating stats every day. Back in those days, Maradona stood alone. You never heard a comparison to anyone uh, going up against Maradona. Well, maybe there was Platini. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, Pelé. But again, Pelé, I believe, is from a different generation too as yeah. uh, Maradona yeah. was, right? So yeah. I, I guess these arguments, they always come up uh, when there's a new phenomenon. Uh, speaking of phenomenon, uh, the real Ronaldo. But, you know, there are comparisons in their own time. And they're great in their own time. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is I think the further back in time you go, the relevance of international tournaments and the World Cup specifically was it was a greater accomplishment in a way, whereas now we've swung so far to the other extreme in terms of club football. Like we, Everyone kind of knows that if you were to take a top club in today's game, that club would probably annihilate any world cup team right like the level of play at the club level obviously these guys are training every day oh i agree 100 percent. but i, I feel like you know in, in maradona's time and certainly in pele's time the international trophy was considered the biggest accomplishment or like winning the world cup and maybe that's why you have people saying well maradona won a world cup and, and messi didn't if you're measuring them in terms of achievements you know, trophies, then it's hard to deny that Messi is the GOAT if you want, because he's, you know, he has a lot more trophies. Again, though, he's playing for a, a stacked Barcelona team, not not Napoli. And then the other thing that makes it next to impossible to compare the two is that the way the game was played and, and the science around the game and all these things were completely different the from different, one generation. The different rules that have been changed over the years to better the players. I've noticed a lot of the players nowadays are very uh, assisted in their playing time. There's a lot of uh, catering to the player, whereas back then, there was no such thing. Exactly. (laughs) You watch some of those old games or highlights of those old games and the tackles you would see that in some cases were not even called as fouls. <laughs> and today they might be considered red card offenses, right? And and then on the science side of things, like the technology back then was just keep injecting Maradona with cortisone <laughs> right, to, to help right. him play through the pain. Whereas now you've got all kinds of ways of recovering after matches or preparing for matches and diet plans and personal trainers and various types of surgeries, all of these things that just did not exist back then. So I think, yeah, it's 
it's a bit difficult to compare. In terms of your fandom, like you mentioned, you know, your father and your father's father. Have you passed that on? Uh, we've talked offline that you have a couple of kids. Are, are you passing that on to the younger generation? It's interesting. Uh, I was cursed in a good way with three girls, but they all sit with me when uh, Napoli's playing and we all do cheer Napoli. Now, I got the one that has, uh, for some reason, taken a liking to enter. So there's a little bit of a uh, moment there where where I can't agree with the choosing of the club. But all in all, yeah, we're all Napoli fans here. <laughs> well, that's good. So you get, you have a big household derby coming up then in January. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that will do for part one. In part two, we'll talk a little bit about our friendlies at the Winter Football Series. No! Welcome to part two of the Forza Napoli podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by BetStamp. With the BetStamp app, you can compare betting lines across multiple different sports books in your region, which is the only way to get an edge in online sports betting. You can also buy and sell picks from verified accounts. And best of all, the app is free. There are no fees, no royalties, and no commissions. Just download the BetStamp app and be sure to use referral code NAPOLI when you create your account. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about Napoli's friendly matches in Turkey. We're just going to focus on some of the key themes here. But for anyone that's looking for more detailed match reviews, head over to ForzanapoliPress.com. Now, we won both of these matches. The first was against local club Antalyaspor. We won that one 3-2. And then we beat Crystal Palace 3-1. Giacomo Raspadori scored a brace in both matches. And that's where I want to begin Three of the four goals that he scored were just absolutely gorgeous strikes. He's picking his corners. He was a bit fortunate on the fourth goal. It ended up in the back of the goal, but Crystal Palace started there. I think it was their third keeper. He hasn't played all season, so he didn't exactly do that well on on that goal. But Antonio, with the way that Raspadori is playing and the way that he's striking the ball... Do you think that Spalletti needs to find a way to get him into the starting 11? Or should we just stick to what's worked through the first 15 games of the season? Here's the thing with Spalletti. When he first came in, I wasn't a big fan of him. I I thought the same things that happened over at Roma and Inter were going to happen in Napoli again, where he cleans house and uh, brings in his own players to let him cook in his own kitchen the way he wants to run things. So it seems like in in one aspect, he has done that. But in another, it's kind of worked for him. And I don't know about you, but near the end there with the last games uh, before the the break, it it seemed like something needed to change. There needed to be some kind of of a switch up. So, yeah, maybe he should start looking into the beginning now where we're getting into the winter months where he does implement Raspadori more into the game, whereas he's uh, either replacing Vara or he's replacing Zielinski or even, I don't know, let's see how he does on the right hand. Uh, Politano and Lozano can sure use the, use the hand. You mentioned what we knew about Spalletti in previous time at Inter and Roma, and one of the things he was kind of known for, he had a reputation for, was this sort of winter drop-off where he would always start well and then the team would struggle in December or January. We even saw that in his first season at Napoli. 
you wonder, you know, what is the reason for that? Is it because the team becomes a little bit predictable and, and the other, you know, these coaches are sharp, especially in said, yeah, they figure out a way to stop that style. Is it because of the intensity that that system demands and players tire out? So that then makes you wonder, how does this winter world cup kind of change things? Like with this retreat in Turkey, it felt like, they were kind of replicating the retreats that we do in the summer at the start of the season. So does that mean that this might be like a, another start to the new season? And, you know, could they go on another 15 games without losing a match? Who knows? It's going to be difficult with some of the opponents that we have coming up. I wouldn't be surprised if Spalletti switched to a 4-2-3-1 against Inter with Raspadori as the number 10. He seems to like that formation. He seems to like to implement it somehow. Yeah, and it kind of makes sense. Like, he tried using it earlier in the season against Lecce, and we drew them, and then we kind of abandoned it since then. But that was the fourth match of the season, and we still had a lot of new players trying to get used to each other. I don't think it works with this team. Now, having said that, if there was the case where he does change it up and we'll know that when they face Inter, that he plays Raspadori in that team, starting him off, in other words, it could very well work if he's got something lined up for it. But in these last two exhibition games that I saw, it seemed like he was still playing the 4-3-3 with the same kind of subs and the same kind of idea that he he had in the other games. He tended to use him mostly on the left wing as sort of the alternative to Cavada. He did, especially in the match against Antalya Sport, he kind of switched up formations. He was experimenting quite a bit and he still did well there. One of the reasons why I think we might see it though is because if I recall correctly from what i read i don't think zielinski is going to play in either of the friendly matches coming up at the maradona first against villarreal and then against lille so that means that by january 4th which is when we play against inted it would have been exactly a month since zielinski's last match at the world cup now you can say the same thing with kim min jae and i still expect him to play but i think it's you know a lot easier for a center back to return than it is for a midfielder the well, alternatives at center back aren't great you know my favorite to be the rock is going to be playing right possibly i mean it all depends i think on he seems on- to be doing well i've heard he could be making a return kim and jay i was very worried about kim and jay when i saw him uh, playing in south korea those south korea games oh my god I don't have that much chair, as you could see, Joe, and I almost pulled every, every strand out watching those games. He was giving it 120%, and I was I was like, you're going to lose the game. Just stop. Just stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, stop the, the, I think the bigger concern is that he was playing, like he picked up a knock, I think, in the first match of the group stage, and he kind of right. it, even missed the match due to it. So right. that's a bit of a wild card. If, if he can't go, we really need to hope that Rachmani can recover so far Rachmani has been only doing personalized training, custom work on the field. He hasn't done any full group training sessions. So that's, I've been checking his training reports every day just to see like. Okay. It's a great thing you're doing a joke because we don't have time to be doing it. Thanks for you, man. (laughs) Thank you. But I mean, it's mostly because I'm concerned. (laughs) So we'll see. Like, I think we'll, we'll learn a lot from these upcoming friendly matches and depending on who plays in those that, 
that could be um, a good indication of what to expect against Inter. But yeah, like I, I don't know that. Not that we're guaranteed a loss if we have to play Juan Jesus and Leo Ostergaard, but obviously, you know, there are. Right. You know what? I would feel very confident with those two guys playing. They've shown a great uh, level of uh, of strength and play in each player that I couldn't fathom. Juan Jesus, like uh, I can't believe it. The player that he's become over in Napoli. He's, he's been phenomenal. Yeah, exactly. And we'll talk a little bit about transfer rumors later. But, you know, one of the players we're linked to is Bartosz Berzinski, who's a bit, you know, of an older player now. He's sort of on the decline. Mm-hmm. And you look at Juan Jesus and it's like he was in the same situation and, and he's mm-hmm. exceeded everyone's expectations. Granted, the bar was set pretty low, but he's held his own. So, yeah, like I wouldn't necessarily call that a guaranteed loss if those two guys start. Going back to Raspadori, it's still a good problem to have, right? Whether right, we play, of course. You know, whether we start him or <laughs> use him as like a super sub, you know, maybe he plays on the left wing as a substitute and he can replace a number of different players. He can replace Cavada on the left wing. He could replace Osiman at the number nine. We can use him to change the formation, say from a four-three-three to a four-two-three-one. Even if Zelinski starts, maybe he doesn't have the legs to play the full ninety minutes. So you pull him off. 60 70 minute per raspadorian and give a different look so that's still a very useful player to have i mentioned cavada i don't know what you thought about his play in these two matches but he didn't look like the same dynamic player that we saw you know for the first few months of the season i think i know the answer to this question but do you think he's lost his magic or was this just to be expected after he sat out for a little while with that lower back injury no, I think Havara is a very uh, special player. I also think he's a very special person, whereas he, he's coming from a different world to Napoli. He's probably still trying to settle down, and who knows what those months of him coming onto that field must have – he must have felt at home. And now with the time off the field – Maybe he's feeling a little bit homesick. Who knows? Uh, nobody knows, right? We can only guess and assume what's going on with the players when they're not on the field. But I think he he needs a little bit more time. Hey, maybe he's going to get sold in January. Maybe there's, better already, not. <laughs> well, maybe there's already a good deal on the table. Yeah, no. I know you like your hot takes, but I'm not expecting that one. I think his uh, De Laurentiis would be uh, unwise to pull the trigger so quickly. Well, isn't he already being offered like uh, 86 uh, million euros? That's what he's kind of being valued at right now, yeah. Well, that's not bad for a $10 million player. And for four months... After four so months, four months uh, yeah. stint that he had, whereas near the end there, it's kind of falling off. Who knows if he could have got injured? We don't know, right? We don't know what goes behind, uh, what happens behind closed doors. So, yeah, yeah. And, and that's always the thing when you're deciding when's the right time to pull the trigger on selling a player because there's always that risk. I think they probably won't sell, but yeah, that would be great if that didn't happen, of course. Yeah, exactly. And but again, like it's we're in a good spot because we have a guy like Raspadori that if he right. happens to be struggling, no pressure, we'll we'll rest you a little bit, we'll give other guys a, a chance, and and that healthy competition elevates the, the quality of the Raspadori is the love child of Insigne and Mertens. In a way, yeah. It's a it's and, a great uh, way to put it. And yeah. he has and he has uh, warned that 
like I thought he was going to come over and like totally take over in senior spot, but he's shown more of a Mertens flair and a Mertens uh, kind of mentality than Insigne. Yeah, and what I've loved about Raspadori's play is that he's not afraid to shoot. Yeah, exactly, which has been a problem for Napoli players in the past. Right. This is what I like about this new team. In the past, I'd be yelling at the TV, but what, should just shoot the ball. Let it deflect off a player. Just shoot the ball. Yeah, Same thing. happen. Yeah, exactly. Just let that ball go where it goes. Let it play. Let the ball play. And this is what I like about this new Napoli team is that Avada shoots when he's got the ball. Well, that's not true. Vara does shoot when he has the ball, but he needs a little bit of space so he can take a shot. But he shoots the ball more than other players in the past have. Again, this is why I like this team, because Zielinski is shooting the ball more. Everybody's shooting the ball more. And Cavada is not one-footed. Like Obviously, his right foot is his preferred foot, but he's capable of cutting back to his left, which is a bit of a, a difference between him and Insigne. The other thing I like about Raspadori is he seems to have like crocodile blood. <laughs> like he's watching him play. I don't see, I honestly do not see any difference between the way he played in Serie A to the way he played in Champions League to the way he played for the Nazionale to the way he played in these friendly matches. The way the guy plays is exactly the same no matter the circumstances, which I think is really, really important because that means that even under intense pressure, he's got that composure. And you know, that could be because he's held back on the bench. That could be a reason that he's being held back on the bench. So when he's put in, he's got something to prove. Because I've even noticed in his time at Sassuolo, it's not the same player. He was good at Sassuolo, yes. But since he's come over to Napoli, he's become such a much better player. No, that makes perfect sense. Like, it's that internal competition that we've talked about. You could say the same thing about... Mario Rui and Matthias Oliveira, right? Like oh they, my God. they both seem to be elevating each other. Yes. I'm not so sure about Politano Lozano. They kind of both just stay at the same level. <laughs> but but I think there's that. There's also, you know, playing under Spalletti, regardless of his track record, like if you ask players, a lot of them will tell you that he's an, an incredible coach, especially as far as development goes with these younger players. Because that's the thing we it's easy for us to forget that. Raspadori is still very, very young, right? So he's got a lot to learn. He's very bright. He's educated and he's dedicated and all of that stuff. So he seems to be have a higher, a faster learning curve, but he's a young player. So I think he's developing under Spalletti, but I agree as well that that competition, and you could say the same thing about Simeone, right? That he's a guy that hasn't had many opportunities. How do you not call up a player like Simeone to the Argentina team? How do you not do that? How do you call up, yeah. not anything against Lautaro Martinez, but I'm sorry. You want to win the World Cup and you call up Dybala, who is injured, have him sit on the bench for almost the whole World Cup, but you don't want to call, you don't call up Simeone to sit on the bench for when you can use him? Yeah, it I makes mean, no sense. I was very disappointed about that as well. And, and I'm all for our guys not getting hurt. But I just felt for him because he really did deserve to be on that squad. You look at some of Absolutely. the other players that called up. And then they even had a couple of players that didn't make the final squad due to injury. So he had another chance and they ended right. up calling up like Angel Correa or someone. And it was right. like, really? I think uh, Patrick Kendrick kind of joked a little bit about this on Twitter where he said, uh, 
something along the lines of like so much for needing Simeone because Argentina got to the final, <laughs> but I still would have rather had him sitting on the bench there. Well, <laughs> no, you said it correctly just now. How do you call up Correa, but you don't call up Simeone? Ne- never mind Martinez, who I just mentioned, but Correa, really? Over Simeone? Oh, well. Yeah. What's done is done. That's okay. But like I said, he's he's seizing every opportunity he gets. So hopefully he continues to do that. The last player I want to talk about just from these friendly matches is Tangi Ndombele. Because I think, again, even if we played a 4-3-3, maybe it's not Zielinski. Maybe we start out with Lobotka and Gisa and Ndombele, who I think has now moved ahead of Elif Elmas in the depth charts. Elmas was... A little disappointing for me over these couple of matches, especially playing in his home country of Turkey. I, I don't think, not that he played horribly, but he just didn't really do anything to stand out to me. You know, well, what do you think back. about Ndombele and, and his play improving? It's true. It's absolutely true. Ndombele has shown great strength in the midfield. Again, this must be a thing that's been gone through in training where they're telling the players, uh, you find a split second where you could take a shot at that ball, take it. And uh, he's one of those players that has done that. Whereas Alif Elmas, he's juggling too much with the ball. And you know what? That's great and dandy, but it gets to a point where uh, if you don't know what to do with the ball at the end of it, at the end of your dribble, what's the point? I suspect, you know, as we continue to turn over the squad, LMS might be one of those guys that's going to get sold uh, next summer. And unfortunately, like he had a, a huge amount of potential, but it hasn't panned out. And you know that sometimes that's it's, just it's like it. it's like he's peaked, oh, kind of. But we know he hasn't because he's still young and he's there's still a lot to learn. But yeah, it, and he's it, had it, great sort of moments of brilliance. He's looked really, really good for. North Macedonia. So it might just be one of those things where it may be something we regret in the future because I could see a situation where we sell him to a club where he fits better with the system. Maybe he has a better understanding of what the coach's expectations are and then he just takes off and that's okay. That happens. Sometimes you just need to be in the right environment. Yep. That will do for part two. In part three, We'll cover some transfer rumors and a few other stories that were in the news. Welcome to part three of the Forza Napoli podcast. If you like the show, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash Forza Napoli pod. It's entirely voluntary. There are no set tiers, but it does help me to continue to produce content both on the show and on our website at forzanapolipress.com. Okay, before we get to the transfer rumors, I want to get your thoughts on a story that surfaced a little while ago, but we haven't had much time to talk about it on the show. Again, I mentioned that it's been a while since the last episode, and that was Lorenzo Insigne requesting to train at Castel Volturno, now known as the Konami Training Center. We had a good debate about this amongst the uh, Napoli Club Toronto members, but I'm curious, Antonio, how you feel about Insigne wanted to train at his old uh, stomping ground. Well, do we know this for sure that he wanted to join the training ground? And I, I mean, it was reported, so we'll have to take that with a grain of salt. It maybe yeah, I, I just think he just wanted he missed the guys and he wanted to kick the ball around with them. Listen, he it's not that fun in the winter months over here. I would get really homesick if I lived in Napoli too. So it could be just again he's homesick. 
wants to kick the ball around one last time while he's there. Is he by himself there or is he with his family? No, I think the whole family went back for oh, okay. a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I like I think what it was is that he was back in Italy, but the MLS season is coming up. So he was looking for a place to train with his own personal trainers. He wasn't asking to train with the squad or anything like that. He just wanted to use the grounds to train. Oh, so that can be very easily uh, like that can be true. I don't see yeah. why it wouldn't be possible for that to happen. Yeah, the, and I don't see nothing wrong with that. That's the club that he used to play for. That he feels comfortable there. Why wouldn't he want to train there? Okay, so let me give you my take on this because we kind of reverse roles. You say you're you have a lot of hot takes, and that's a very logical thought. And I'm normally very logical. I'm a, I've been an Insigne fan since the times at Pescara with Zeman and uh, Immobile with Verratti. I really followed his career, and uh, I when I met him here, I was very touched how what a great uh, person he is with his fans. And um, I really like him. I, I'm a really uh, big fan of Insigne. At the same time, this is a hot take. I'm not happy that he came to Toronto. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. He should have stayed at Napoli and uh, sit on the bench for all I care. He yeah. should have just stayed there, retired there. Let me first just comment on him as a person. I will always be an, an Insigne fan, especially after my son met him. We went to one of these signing things and like, he made my son feel like he just met the great. Yeah, he's, he's a great. He's got a great character, especially with kids. Like, and it wasn't anything crazy. Like he, he just kind of winked at him and smiled and whatever. Right. And my son tells everybody the story now. So <laughs> as a person, I'll always, always, always be an Insignia fan. The interesting thing is, you mentioned that he should have stayed. That's one of the reasons why people were kind of against him training. At, yeah, he know, gets a training. lot of flack in Napoli. I hear. I hear. I read yeah. a lot of articles that a lot of uh, Napoli fans uh, criticize him because he's a he's a hometown kid, right? Yeah. So I mean, being born in Napoli, he's I guess held to a higher standard. I've also yeah. heard a lot of people talk about how he he hasn't always been the greatest with the public. Personally, I think he's just an introvert and. You know, when he finishes training, he just wants to go home and spend time with his family. Very well be so, yeah. Right. So I, who knows? But, you know, a lot of people viewed it as, well, you decided to take the big payday and go to Toronto. So hey, and why not? But, to but why here. not? Why not? I mean, it would be stupid of somebody to say, what? Millions of dollars? No, I don't want it. Yeah. Come so on. I'll give you my take because, and again, this is where I've... This is not like me whatsoever. I'm despite being a Napoli fan, I am not superstitious at all. But I feel like with every game we've won this season, I've gotten a little bit more superstitious and a little bit more so. You know, now I, I'm kind of like, and again, I would never have said this at the start of the season, but I just don't want like the negative juju. <laughs> it just, as funny as that sounds. I, you're not alone. You're not alone in that right. because I've, I've tried to ignore it. And I'll be honest with you. Uh, how can I say this? My wife also follows uh, the club. She follows Insignia more than she follows the club. And once when she mentions his name, I get very furious. I get, especially if the, if the game is on and, oh, where's Insignia? And she does one of those. I'm like, what are you doing? I go, get out of the room. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm trying to watch the game in peace because yeah, I get, I'll get some superstition going too. 
if the kids are with me in the room watching the game, they can't leave the room now. Yeah. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> you know, if you win, you got to wear the same shirt, that sort of thing. And, actually, and, you're not, actually, and you're not alone in that. There's, I'm sure there's a lot of those Napoli fans out there that are the same oh, way. <laughs> there are. I, I got so superstitious, actually, that I started to tell myself, okay, maybe if we let Insignia train at Castel Volturno, then that will cancel out the Drake curse after he went and wore the throwback. <laughs> he went and wore the hey, throwback. Where, where do you think he got that uh, that that jumper? Because that's a pretty rare jumper he's got on. I think there's a, one of these um, sort of throwback retro. I, I should be able to find it and, and send you the link. Of oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's not an original. It's a remake. I saw it and I was like, hey, that's a pretty nice retro jumper he's got on. I would like it. I would like to have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So ultimately, the request was declined for insurance reasons. But honestly, I find that hard to believe. I'm pretty sure they could have just signed like a simple waiver or something. But I laughed when I first read that. I'll tell you just a little personal story, <laughs> which made me laugh about this. So my son, who's only six years old, um, in the wintertime, I signed him up for indoor soccer so last winter, when he was five, the place he plays at, there's a field, but the parents' area is like a, on the upper level, a balcony where you look down. And whenever I would drop him off, I would kick the ball around with my daughter just, you know, for fun. Like there's five-year-olds, five, six, seven-year-olds all kind of playing together. We're, it's not like a big game and we're in the way. We're off in the corner. And we did that for the first couple of Saturdays. And then one time we were there and, and the coach came up to us and said, Hey, sorry guys, you, you can't play here. And I was like, okay, well that's fine. We'll, we'll go upstairs. And then he said, you know, it's not me. I, I would let you train here, but you know, for insurance reasons, we can't do that. <laughs> so when I read this thing about Insignia not being able to train at Castel Volturno, I was like, wait a minute, that line sounds familiar. This sounds like the type of line that you tell someone when you really just don't want them doing it. Like they just didn't. Yeah, want them it's, one of those, it's one of those, uh, be, let's be democratic about it. Let's be political. Yeah, it's like, like a good way. Be, like you know, who's going to argue with the insurance right. argument? So right. that's what it reminded me of. But anyway, no, I didn't. I didn't have any idea that he actually was looking to play and that he was denied to play there. Yeah. I didn't know none of that. If that story is true, it's kind of a a uh, not happy story on both sides because it seems like there there's kind of something there, kind of like a grudge there. Maybe De Laurentiis or not De Laurentiis himself, but the club and Insigne himself. Yeah, it could be. Who knows? I mean... Maybe it really is an insurance thing. I, I honestly don't know. But actually, it's funny because right now, Cristiano Ronaldo is training at Real Madrid. So they found a way to make it happen over there. But, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to the transfer market. The one player that I didn't mention in part two is Alessandro Zanoli, who didn't have a good game against Antalya Spor. And when I do my three takeaways piece for the website... One of the takeaways I, I had from that match was that I think we need a better backup right back. He was better against Crystal Palace. He picked up an assist on that goal that Raspadori was a little Raspadori bit. Raspadori in the top corner. Yeah, and it was after a, a nice little exchange with Zadadka on the right wing. But it seems like Spalletti might view Zanoli. I don't know if he views him as a bit of a liability, but 
you know, the transfer rumor right now, sort of the leading transfer rumor, there's not many around Napoli right now, understandably, because things are going well. So you don't want to shake things up too much. But there's rumors that he could be swapped with Bartosz Berzinski at Sampdoria. Any thoughts on that possible transfer? Brzezinski is a big, uh, experienced player. Not that I followed him closely over the years, but I have watched matches with him in it. And he's a great addition, if you ask me, not only for the fact that De Lorenzo could use a little bit of a rest once in a while, but Paul, he matches up pretty good with Zielinski, as we saw in, in these Poland uh, World Cup games that have been going on. All in all, it's a plus for me. I mean, I'd hate to see Zanoli go, but maybe now is this a straight swap or is it a like a loan swap? What is it exactly? Do you know? It sounds like it would be loans, which is very important, right? Because right. we don't want to just let Zanoli go. What we don't know is right. will there be an option for Sampdoria to buy? As far as I can understand, this is a short-term loan swap where I think the thinking is that we would get an experienced player to be our backup right back and we benefit from Zanoli perhaps having more opportunity to play at Sampdoria, which is important for his development. And then they would get sort of a young player that's eager to prove his worth and has a lot of energy and all of that. So it has the potential to be a win-win. Which I think it's, we did something similar with uh, Alberto Grassi and Jorginho, wasn't it? It wasn't a loan swap sort of save, but he came over first. And then over that summer or over that winter, he went over to them. I believe that. Maybe. I mean, these things, I'm sure these things have been done before. Admittedly, I haven't watched a whole lot of Berezinski or a whole lot of Santoria for that matter this season. They're not exactly a fun team to watch these days. Yeah, I I watched the game with Giampaolo there at the helm. And I I can't even remember what what the other team was to be exact. I think it was Torino, and uh, Torino was just walking all over them. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go do something else. I'm not going <laughs> to waste my time watching this game. No, it hasn't been fun to watch. So I did do a little bit of research on him just because of these rumors. So he's 30 years old. So that's the experience. He's been Sampdoria's captain this season, and he's worn the armband occasionally over the last couple of seasons, which suggests that he has leadership qualities. In his seven seasons at Sampdoria, he's made 186 appearances, and he's played almost exclusively as a right back. He had the odd appearance at center back, sometimes on the right side of a 3-5-2 sort of. Yeah, I believe he could play in a three-man back three or in a four-man back four where he's either the CB or the right CB. Right, which is maybe another attractive quality that he has that flexibility, especially with these injuries at center back. It might be useful if we actually have a couple games where both Rachmani and Kim are hurt, then we can play him there. He's played almost exclusively at right back there, but on the national team, he has played quite a bit at left back, so he could even play there. I did notice that. Yes, you just reminded me. I was going to bring that up. Because, yeah, he was used a lot. I think in every single game, he was used as left back. Yeah, the first three games in the group stage, just not in the the knockout stage, the one match. And, of course, that's another benefit is that he already has a relationship, a friendship with Piotr Zielinski from the national team. So on paper, it seems to make sense. Curiously, a couple of Sampdoria fans that I really respect chimed in on the dialogue on Twitter, and they didn't exactly praise Berezinski 
Stephen Kazovitz, who writes for Football Italia, Gentleman Ultra, and a couple other sites said that he hasn't contributed much for Samp in a woeful season. He said experience is really the only real attribute that he has, but don't expect much. His best days are behind them, and that given the rumors, he obviously hasn't impressed Dankovic. Finally, he said Berzinski is not going to impress unless Spalletti can magically transform. Well, there was there was always that rumor with uh, Rachmani that, I mean, he was dreadful the first couple of games. I remember how awful he was. And now he's become a player where comparable to uh, Koulibaly, for example. I mean, yeah. there's other ones you could compare him to, but it's just uh, the best center back that I could think of right now. Yeah, and um, we mentioned Juan Jesus earlier, right? Like a guy that when we signed him, everyone was scratching their heads thinking this guy's on the decline, his career is over, he's hardly played at Roma, and he's actually become a decent player for us and and he's held his own when he's had to start for us. So especially playing for a team that has really, really struggled, I don't know if if we should even look at this season's performances as sort of an indication of what he's capable of bringing. Vito Doria, who I've had on the show before of Total Italian Football and Breaking Lines, kind of echoed those sentiments. He said that Berezinski improved under Ranieri a couple of years ago and that he might be okay under Spalletti, but only as a Vice Di Lorenzo. He's not good enough to replace Di Lorenzo. So the consensus seems to be that he's not a great player. He may be a serviceable backup to Di Lorenzo. Maybe he can give Di Lorenzo a rest here and there, but he's really someone who cannot replace Di Lorenzo if he were to get hurt, then frankly, who can, right? Like he's become such an important player for us. So, well, again, that, that position requires you to run up and down the flank for 90 plus minutes. And Di Lorenzo is one of the tops in that position. And in doing that job, um, it's pretty, it gets to you after a while. So who knows? What, what do we know? He could be working on a thing uh, somewhere where, you know, he gets uh, taken off at the 60th, 70th minute to give him that extra rest for the next game. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe you do that specifically in matches where you have a goal or two lead and you use Berzinski to play. Not that we want to play defensively, but, you know, just he doesn't have to charge up and down those wings like De Lorenzo does, but just a solid right back that can protect the lead. What I will say is it is nice to be in a position where our biggest concerns are backup positions. You know, another one is Diego Deme. He's been rumored to possibly join Salernitana. There've been rumors that Salvatore Sidigu could also be on his way to Salernitana as well. I think that rumor started when a photo was snapped of Sidigu having a conversation with Morgan De Sanctis while both clubs were training in Turkey the Sanctus is currently sporting director of Salernitana. So obviously, you know, those two speak the same language being goalkeepers. In my opinion, the best goalkeeper Napoli ever had. The Sanctus could be. Yeah, he could be. I think Ospina is probably a candidate for that. We'll see. Meret still has some work to do to get to that point, but he's definitely up there. He was great for us in those days. Interestingly, Regardless of whether Sirigu leaves or not, there have been talks about potentially bringing back Nikita Contini from Santoria, and he could be part of that Zanoli-Berzinski swap as well. If Sirigu doesn't leave, then I think that would be bad news for last season's Primavera keeper, Hubert Idasiak, who would become the fifth goalkeeper in the squad. So we'll have to see how, how that happens, did, how that plays out. Did I not see Marfella play in one of these friendlies? Yeah, he played a little bit, I think, against Antalya Spore, 
was he in goal when they scored the free kick? I think he was, um, which wasn't <laughs> wasn't spectacular goalkeeping either. So maybe yeah, exactly. I, there also have been reports that he could be on the way out. So maybe that's that brings us back to four. And why why haven't we made a play for a good goalkeeper? I mean, uh, we could have had Cranio on our bench, or we could have had him as a number one right now, and we never made that move. I, I honestly know. never understood why we didn't go after Cranio. You know, especially when there were all these rumors that when no one really wanted Meret anymore, and we were linked to to uh, and they're making all these claims about Navas and and uh, who was the other kid there from uh, Chelsea from Chelsea, yeah, Kepa, right? Meanwhile, you got a good national player that plays on the national team keeper that is a great keeper, in my opinion, he's a great keeper, if not great, good enough to sit on the bench. And what kills me is that's what he's doing for Monza, who are obviously right. not as good, right? Like, Cranio would have been a fantastic backup option because you look at our, our goalkeepers, like even Sidigu, even if he stays healthy, I'm, I'm not so sure that he's a great yeah, backup. Either. Not yeah. so confident in Sidigu either. Exactly. Okay, last thing. I mean, there are other transfer rumors out there, but a lot of them are players that would be summer signings. So who knows? I mean, a lot can change between now Lozano's and now. Lozano's leaving for sure this winter, right? Not this winter, like Lozano, probably in the summer. I don't think he's going anywhere in January. Ah, too bad. I was hoping I'd get an early <laughs> Christmas present. <laughs> okay, so let's close with Matic Hamsik. For anyone um, who's maybe taken a, a vacation from all the Napoli news during the uh, the World Cup, but he's been popping up quite a bit in terms of napoli related things he visited the club when they were in turkey i don't think he trained with them but he, he was there with the players obviously he plays in turkey right now de Laurentiis spoke highly of him to the media recently i think it was after a lega council meeting where he said of hamsik that if he wanted to return there will always be a place for him in naples in the ideal position he wanted to fill and then just this week the zone released an interview with hamsik as part of their the zone hero series called La Cresta di Napoli, the crest of Naples, which I think is sort of a pun referencing his hair. Um, <laughs> and in that interview, he had nothing but good things to say about Napoli, both the city and the club. Do you think this might be setting up a future management or director role for Maracchiaro at Napoli? Yeah, I don't see why not. He's a very loved player. He's been a, a statue at the club where he's a, uh, anchored himself very well with the fans and De Laurentiis. There's never been anything negative about him that I could remember in the newspapers or on the internet. And he would be a great addition to that back management position. Yeah, exactly. That sort of Zanetti. I mean, Maldini's a bit more hands-on with transfers, but yeah, I think he would be a great director with the club. Really, the only negative I suppose he can think of is just the way he left the club, you know, mid-season to go play in China. But it seems like that's water under the bridge. He could have gone to Inter. <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing. I mean, even with Mertens, who who gave an interview recently after um, a friendly that Galatasaray played against Lazio, he said even Salernitana he couldn't play for because... Napoli was the only club in Italy that he could play for. So that seems to be one thing with our legend. Well, that, when they leave, says a lot about players that come and play for Napoli. Even I remember back in the day, Lavezzi, Inter wanted him, uh, Juventus wanted him, and uh, he would not leave until PSG found, found him. Yeah, there's something about the club or maybe the fans in the city that 
they just know that they can't play anywhere else in Italy, which is really just, nice. Just ask Kiwain, no? Yeah, he's the, <laughs> the one exception, I suppose. But I mean, I mean, he gets a lot of hate for that, but everyone seems to leave out that well, listen, you know, like 90 million there, euros. Yeah, well, listen, there's one thing you can't take away from that is that well, he's won trophies. He's won a Serie A trophy. He's a, I don't blame him for what he did. He did what he had to do for his own meaning for himself. But at the end, it wasn't a great sending off, was it? No. Well, I think where he really rubbed everyone the wrong way was when he celebrated after he scored, which is uh, a big oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of disrespect. Absolutely. Back to Hamsik, they showed his football school in Slovakia, and he also has a winery that his father and his brother run, and he mentioned that the football school would be his focus when he retires from football. But I got the impression that if the opportunity arose and the timing is right, that he would actually be open to the idea. At the very least, I think it would be a difficult opportunity for him to turn down. It was a nice little interview. They talked about, you know, the various coaches that he played for at Napoli, the different generations of players, some of the guys we just mentioned, Lavezzi, Cavani, you know, Insignia Mertens. They talked about the legends that left this summer and how well Napoli did to replace them. So, And then probably the best part was at the end, there was a nice little quote where, you might have seen this one on social media because the zone was promoting the uh, it's like a 20 minute interview where he was basically asked if he would shave his sort of iconic hairstyle to win a Scudetto at Napoli. And he just said immediately, you know, take it off right now. <laughs> so, well, he did that. I, I'm pretty sure I remember him doing that once already. Yeah, maybe he did. But, you know, it's really nice to see like how committed he still is to that city. Okay, so that is all we have time for today. It really flew by, Antonio. Uh, it's been a pleasure chatting with you today. Same here, uh, Joe. I've been following you and uh, listening to you since the beginning. I think you know by now how much I uh, look forward to listening to you every week. Uh, you're doing a great job at this. I'm a little bit jealous that I didn't think of it. <laughs> and... Um, no, you're doing a great job, Joe, and uh, my hat's off to you. Keep going. Thank you, thank you. And don't worry, we'll happily bring you back on the show. So uh, if you ever get the itch to talk about Napoli, which I'm sure you do regularly, we'll get you back on soon. You can find Antonio on Twitter at Anton33, but the O is a zero, so A-N-T-0-N-33. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore D5, and you can find the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Patreon at Fortsanopoly Pod. I'm not sure exactly when I'll be back for another episode. I'm trying to produce at least one a week during the international break, and then we'll get back to at least two episodes a week when things ramp up again in January. But until next time, I'm Joe Fischetti. Forza Napoli sempre. Podcast Network.